Working Class Audio is brought to you by Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Loudon Audio, Focal Monitors, and Gearsluts.com. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 160. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 160 you're listening to. Oh, thanks, Chuck, by the way. I almost missed that. We are back for yet another episode. This time I have as my guest Joe Costable on. Joe has uh, worked with quite a a variety of people, but uh, he's worked in the hip-hop world with Mike Jones, Scarface, Manny Fresh, Gerald Levert. Uh, He's also worked with Good Charlotte, works with a lot of different bands, to be honest with you. Uh, He started his career in Houston, Texas, uh, working out of a big studio there, Studio 7303. Fast forward many years later, now Joe is located outside of uh, New York City in a small town, which we'll talk about in the interview. So yeah, Joe Costable coming up here. And Joe is a uh, a recommendation from former WCA alumni, uh, uh, Mike Kalajan, who's also in New York. And uh, does a lot of mastering work for Joe. And if you haven't heard uh, Mike Collagen's interview, that is WCA number 072. Yeah, quite a while back. But uh, yeah, have a listen and you'll get a sense about Mike. And then, uh, of course, Mike recommended Joe. So there it is. Joe Costable coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. So, uh, God, several things going on. Okay, so let's get to NAM once again. I know I'm, I've been mentioning it a lot lately, but uh, NAM is coming up. Uh, it is happening at the end of the month. Let's pull up the calendar, shall we? That would be done like that. You click that, you do this. How about that? Okay, so NAM is uh, January uh, 25th through the 28th. And I will be there if you're going to be there. Well, I'm going to be there anyway. But if you're going to be there, I will be appearing at the McDSP booth, 3 p.m., Friday the 26th. Friday the 26th, McDSP booth. I will be there. I will be chatting with my old high school friend, Colin McDowell of McDSP. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I, I honestly don't. I have an idea of what we could talk about, but... We'll just kind of, you know, leave it to chance and see what happens. So, yeah, 3 p.m. at the McDSP booth, Friday the 26th. So I hope I see you there. If I don't, I'm sure I will see you uh, around the show floor. Feel free to come up and say hi, introduce yourself. Uh, If I've met you before and it's been a while and I don't immediately recognize you, please don't be offended. I mean, a lot of people and... um, I mean, just in my day-to-day life, just meeting other parents with, you know, my kids in school and like running into those parents again, it takes me so long to digest their names. I'm just horrible at that. So um, anyhow, yeah, come and say hello. I'll be at the NAM show and uh, would love to see you. Would love to chat with you. And uh, God, I hope they have coffee close by. That's 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 the key there. All right. So uh, moving on. So what else is going on? Okay. So if you're a longtime listener, you know, I've been on the hunt for a desk and long story short, I made a commitment and I have now acquired a, uh, a Zayor uh, desk uh, and racks and uh, some speaker stands. Yeah. Like a whole thing. I got the Onda Mac 12, which is a, a lovely desk in black and walnut. I'm going to be doing a whole video about it, actually. It's going to be my uh, my Working Class Audio Studio Makeover by Zayor, and uh, I'll post that. There'll be pictures and all that and uh, some time-lapse uh, videos of me building it. I'm trying to get my kids to help me build it. Uh, but I already built one of uh, the speaker stands that I got, 
and it's super simple and the stuff is just beautiful and it's rock solid and I'm really excited about it. So my room as I'm talking now is in a, just a, a wreck. Uh, I haven't begun installing anything, but just, you know, there's coffee cups everywhere. There's, you know, it's, it's dirty. That's all I'm going to say. It's just, it's, it needs to be cleaned up. It needs a serious makeover here. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to take this opportunity now, now that I have this stuff, I figure, well, before I start putting it together, I might as well make a video about it. So I'm going to be doing that. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, these uh, boxes showed up and I, I tell you, I've never seen cardboard this thick, well-packed, beautiful stuff. I'm really excited about it. I, I hemmed and hawed over a lot of different companies. There's a lot of different companies out there making stuff. And I finally just said, you know what? I really like this. I like the look. Uh, looks well built and uh, did some research on them and decided that I was going to go with with Sayar as the company. So I'll be talking about it more as time goes along, but uh, I'll let you know when the video is out. Uh, maybe if you're on the email list, I'll send you a heads up, but I'll also po post it on Facebook and uh, Twitter and all the social media things. So yeah, yeah, Zayor, looking forward to it. Also recently got, and I wish I could get these guys on as a um, as a sponsor. I think it'd be a real good match. I got an, some Nest Cams. I don't know if you guys have seen that. So the whole like smart home thing seems to be, as my wife said, she said, oh yeah, for your demographic, that's like the hot thing. So I, I got a couple of Nest Cams and a uh, and a ring doorbell recently and it came with like a Google Home Mini so you know now you can talk to the Google device and it'll do things and you know home automation that's that's where it's all headed i i, I guess so it's pretty cool whether you have a studio or not but if you have a studio at home, if you have a studio in an outside building, in a building you rent, whatever, I think I paid, it was like two, I'm going to say 229 for two cameras. Uh, I went to Best Buy. They did a price matching based on what I had on my phone on Amazon. And, and that came with a free Google Home Mini. And they're outdoor cams. They plug in 1080p. Real crystal clear. I got an alert last night as I was falling asleep. And I was like, oh, I know that's one of the Nest cams going off. I'm so tired. I don't want to check. But then I actually, I looked at the phone and I was like, oh, it's a fox. We captured a fox. Not captured it, but we caught it on camera. Little baby fox. But, um, you know, it'll capture sound. It'll capture um, motion, obviously. And it's continuously recording. You do got to pay a subscription fee, which is kind of a pain in the ass. But, you know, whatever. It's a hundred bucks for the first camera, $50 for the next camera for a year of continuous 30-day 30 days of cloud recording for both cameras. I think, you know, if somebody broke in and stole stuff, I'd know within 30 days and I could pull up the video footage. So it's good. I have those in some strategic locations at my house. And uh, uh, they obviously, you know, they make a series of, of uh, indoor cams and of obviously, you know, the Nest thermostat, that's a thing. So yeah, looking into uh, kind of expanding in that world, getting a smoke and carbon monoxide alarm for the uh, for all the all the rooms in the house we already have some basic ones but i thought i would get these because rather than just beeping it alerts you so you know if you're out of town you can know if there's a fire in your house which you can't do with a traditional smoke alarm so yeah looking forward to that so yeah new year new stuff trying different things trying new approaches and um yeah new zero desk new nest cams all that kind of stuff yeah, anybody out there know anybody at Nest? Does Nest want to come on board as a sponsor? Because I would love some more cameras. That would be great if we could work that out. It'd be awesome. Maybe we could do some giveaways and 
get everybody sorted out from a security standpoint would be great. Well, that's it. Uh, I think we should uh, stop chatting here as, as we usually do. And uh, let's get to it. Let's talk to Joe. Joe Costable here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with me today. You are based in New York. I'm in New York. My studio is in Patterson, New York. So I'm about like an hour train ride north of this city. I'm up in the sticks in the woods, nice and quiet where I like it. How is the snow today? The snow today is just blowing around, but I think it's it's seven degrees minus nine with the wind. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's cold. And it's it's really windy. So uh, and, and for our international friends, obviously we're speaking in Fahrenheit. <clears throat> in Fahrenheit. And the heat in the studio hasn't been working for a week. So I've got my trusty space heater in my room. But oh um, man. Out in the lounge and out in the other room, it's I think it's like fifty one degrees. It's it's holding. But uh it's a geothermal system. So it's pulling water out of the ground. Yeah. It pulls groundwater, which is like fifty degrees, and then only has to heat fifty degree water up to, you know, 70 or whatever a normal heat temperature is. And it's like more energy efficient. Um, so what it does is just pumps this water in and out of the ground. So the groundwater is 50 degrees. So the rooms are 50 degrees. But I guess the heating part of it isn't working. Oh. It's a it's a pretty crazy system. So right now it probably feels like a wine cellar in the studio. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It feels really cold. <laughs> but yeah, it's sure. Wine cellar will do it. Yeah. So I've got... I've got my space heater and it's it's cooking away. I'm I'm warm in here. Do you uh, mix in the box? I mix in the box. Buying a few extra pieces of gear would probably benefit you temperature wise at this moment. I have one two channel two preamp here that's on, so that's helping. Um, and then the power amp for the NS tens, and, and the the Lynx Hilo is it actually gets pretty hot. So between the three of those things, I think we'll be all right. We'll, you could uh, sit on the power amp and just put your hands on the Hilo. I thought about it. Keep my hand on that helo. It's nice and warm on the front. Usually when I have a guest on, I can just Google away and immediately get a load of information. Yeah. Uh, primarily from their websites. You do not have a lot of information about yourself, but you do have a lot of records showing. So it's it says to me, you value the work more than trying to you know tell everybody who you are i mean like, the way i see it I'm, I'm almost irrelevant i mean it's it's weird to me to even put a whole list of credits on the site because it's like you know it's it's the game you have to do it you got to tell people what you've done but it's like i just i can't bring myself to putting a blurb about how creative i am and how how much i just love mixing records or recording it's like i don't know i mean that that's a given but loading up the website with that I don't know. I th I think the the works the work needs to speak for itself, and I'm just you know I'm just pushing buttons over here. I'm I'm really I've really taken myself out of it. It's 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 the music that's what matters. I would argue that you're not irrelevant because ultimately people are paying for your taste rather than your skill, right? Well, or a combination of right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean irrelevant to the point. I mean, of course, I like to think I'm relevant, and and it's. The fact that people pay me to take their songs and, and make them sound hopefully better is like, it's just, it's the craziest thing to me. It's awesome. Like, I've worked my whole life for it, you know, but it's just, it's, and you sit back and think about it, like, wow, it's, that's pretty cool. Like, people, especially five, 10 years ago when I wasn't really good at it at all, and people would pay me, you know, a little bit of money to, 
take their song. Like my my friends would pay me to mix their songs and make them sound better. And it's like to think back on that now. It's like, wow, I can't believe people are paying me. Tell me about Patterson. Patterson is I don't know too much about it because I I live in Mount Kisco, which is in Westchester. I'm the county below this. Patterson is it's a quiet. There's there's not a whole lot. There's a lot of horse farms around. <laughs> if you make a right or a left out of the studio driveway, there's you'll hit a horse farm. And then behind the studio actually is like protected land. So there's, I don't know, just acres of land that can't be built on. So the view, if it was daylight, I could show you the view off the deck is like, it's awesome. Just looking at it's like this meadow and the mountains outlining it. And there's not much going on here, to be honest. The studio is here because the owner, JC, it's his house. So he lives downstairs. The whole, the whole top story of his house is studio. And it's raw recording is the studio. And then my mix room, we just built a year ago here, which is kind of a longer story how I got to here. But I'm what used to be the lounge is now the mix room, my mix room. And he still runs his sessions. The live room and the control room are about the same size. And what's nice about it is just all the windows. Studios don't have windows. And here we have like, it's just windows all around the, the room. So it's like a great place to be with a with a full band because A, there's room. You're not all like crammed on a couch. But then you're just in like this great, I don't know, it's just the atmosphere of like, it's different than any other studio because you're not in like this dark, dingy room. Yeah. You've got daylight all around you. It's awesome. In the summer, we open up the doors out onto the deck. It's great. Because there's nobody around, right? There's nobody around. There's, I mean, there's neighbors, but not close enough to hear anything. Give me the backstory. How did you wind up there? So after high school, <clears throat> we can pick it up there. After high school, I went to the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences out in uh, Tempe, Arizona. That's where I learned audio engineering, like professionally in a school setting. And then had to do an internship to graduate. A new LA was saturated. A new New York was saturated. So I was just looking up studios that had SSLs. There was a studio in Houston, Texas that had um, it had a, a 9000J series in one room. There was like a whole pro control setup in another room and then a smaller C room with a control 24. This was back in 2006. So I went there. It turns out that was like the biggest hip hop studio in Houston in 2006. Uh, so like Mike Jones, Paul Wall, Bun B, like all those guys, they were really big around that time. And this is the studio they were working at. I didn't even really know who all these guys were. And I eventually got hired on and, and I'm engineering these sessions for these guys that are like just big hip hop records. And it was, I kind of fell into it. It was, it was pretty cool and like just learned a ton. I always like played in bands, you know, now I'm doing hip hop records and like, you know, in, in the real world, tracking in, you know, MIDI instruments and all the sequencers. And as an intern, I'd be in there setting up all, I mean, these, they were using keyboards and NPCs, you know, so I was just setting up all the MIDI and then maybe I'd get to track into Pro Tools once they were done programming everything. Um, it was a really cool gig. And then that world being what it is, there was a lot of drama surrounding it. And Rap-A-Lot Records ended up taking over the studio. And basically, everybody kind of got squeezed out. I just headed back up, back up north. You can look it up. They beat up the studio owner. It was crazy over like a feature and money. So Yikes. I got out of there. Went back to New York, where I was from. And I was like, man, I just don't know anybody. How am I going to get get back in here, get my foot in the door in New York? And it turns out a friend of mine was interning at Island Def Jam. He was like, I'm going out to L.A. You can take my internship, like take my spot. 
I know it sucks. I know you did an internship. I know you're an engineer. You're working now, but like, hey, you'll get in here. You'll meet people. It'll it'll be worth it. So I did that. Did the internship under Island Records under Rob Stevenson, who signed The Killers and Fallout Boy, The Bravery. I think I was there maybe six months, and then they had what's called a sweep day, <laughs> where they just fire everybody. Like that's so I learned about that. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy. And like here's it. I mean, just the big A and R guys is just out, you know, onto the next. Luckily, I had I had made a friend there. This guy Alex, he uh, he was running Stolen Transmission, or he was an A and R Stolen Transmission, which was like an offshoot smaller record label that was under Island under the, under the direction of Rob Stevenson. I had made friends with him because we knew the same guy. It was like a long chain of friends, but we ended up like, oh, you know Donnie? Oh, that's cool. Like, So we hit it off. I was supposed to be out the door when Rob was gone because I was interning under his assistant. So they shut off my key card, but Alex was like, hey, just keep coming in. Like, I'll find something for you to do. I should rewind and say, as an intern, I was going in every day, you know, 10 a.m. to 8 o'clock at night, whereas usually an internship, you're there maybe, you know, two, three days a week for a couple hours after your classes or whatever. I was just going in like a full-time job because I had nothing else to do. So they shot off my key card, and for the next, I don't know, six weeks, I basically snuck in to the building. The people downstairs knew me, so I could just show up my badge, and they'd, they'd wave, they'd say good morning, I'd go up the stairs. I would come out of the elevator and pretend like I was on the phone and in a hurry. And I'd walk up to the door, swipe my key card. It wouldn't work. It was a glass door. So I'd like wait for the security guard to come let me in. He'd let me in. Um, <laughs> and then and they'd be like, oh, man, you got to get your key card fixed. And I'd be like, I know, man, HR is just, I don't, they're dragging their feet. Like, I, I just can't get away with that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I went out and bought, they had like, everybody had Blackberries in, like the company issued Blackberry. So I went out and bought one. So I was just like, well, if I look the part and they're letting me in the door, I got, I'll get a job here. Like something will, something will happen. And I would just walk around with a folder full of papers. And everybody, I knew a lot of people there, but nobody really knew where I, like who I was, what department I belonged to. They would just see me in the halls and wave. Or I'd go like stop in somebody's office and just chat for an hour and go somewhere else. So everybody like, they... They thought I worked there, but nobody really knew what I did, but nobody really asked either. I would just float all day. And eventually, somebody came up to me and was like, hey, you're an engineer, right? I said, yeah. They're like, great. We need somebody who can talk to the producers and engineers because when we try to get our assets and pay them, we don't know what these things are called. We don't know what we should be asking for. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. The position was called like tape librarian. So I was the guy that when say Rihanna was in was done in the studio, I would have to call whoever the producer was and be like, all right, you send me your send me the tracks, send me I need the multi-tracks, I need these these prints, whatever. And then I would send it to whoever was gonna be mixing and then on to whoever's gonna be mastering. And that was the gig. I was just I was just moving these tapes around and that lasted for about two years. Well so let me stop you for a sec. When that happened, did they finally put you on the payroll? They put me on as a consultant. Oh. So so now I, I was getting paid, yes, but I was a consultant. I really should have been a full-time employee because they were telling me when to be there, when not to be there. And it turned into this thing where I would ask for like, 
like, look, I'd really like health insurance. Like, can I buy into the benefits or something or whatever? They're like, well, you're a consultant here, so we don't offer that. There's a whole lot that goes along with it. Basically, office life is not for me. And I had um, <laughs> my supervisor there was always like, you know, like, I don't know if because I was just bad at the job or what, but she was always like, you know what, like you, you need to get back in the studio. Like that's where you belong. Like I know you can do it. Like whatever. So I I took a vacation in the summer. I was like, all right, I, I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. When I get back, maybe we can talk about a raise or whatever. Like it's just this is getting very difficult for me to do this job. The hours you want. I was actually commuting two hours door to door because I was living upstate in Poughkeepsie. So it was two hours door to door from my house to, to the office. It was it was a lot. It was very mentally taxing, <laughs> to put it lightly. I was at the aquarium, I think, in Miami with my friend. I was on vacation and they called me and they were like, we don't need this position anymore. So like, you just don't want to come back. It was like the easiest layoff <sighs> ever. It, and it, it was perfect because I didn't, I didn't like this job, but it was, I was meeting the people I needed to meet and it, it forced me to like just get back in the studio and like produce bands. Like I, I, I didn't really know where to start, but I, Mike Collegian had his um his studio in Goshen, New York, and I would just rent the studio from him for like dirt cheap, bring a band in there, cut a record, and uh, I wasn't any good at it, you know. But I was, <laughs> I had my leg up now. I was a little better. I was a little better than I was before school and before the the record label. I knew it. Anyway, things they needed to sound like. So that was it. I mean, that was 2009. And, you know, once I got booted out of the label, that was just, I just kept doing this. A couple years later, ended up out in in Pennsylvania at Soundmind Recording. I was doing a lot of work out of there. And the owner there, he linked me up with Shep Goodman, who produced like Bayside and Four Years Strong. I knew the name. And when he emailed me, he he was, why, why does Shep Goodman sound familiar? He, he was asking me to edit drums. So I was like, yeah, I can edit drums for you, no problem. And uh, it was Shep Goodman and Aaron Seta, and they, they were starting a production company called Dirty Canvas. And what they were doing is they would find an artist, basically do all the artist development, and then you know push them out the door. So they, had, they were working with American authors at the time. I was lucky enough to get scooped up by... Shep and Aaron just to be their engineer and work with all the bands that they they worked with together. Um, we did American Authors, Young Rising Sons, Karma Killers, and just a whole bunch of writing sessions with all these different artists. And I would just engineer whatever they whatever they worked on. And they're in Mount Kisco, so I ended up moving back to New York in Westchester, which is where I currently live. It was a small studio, just a writing studio. We had a vocal booth. They did a lot of programming there, but when we had to do drums or anything bigger, we'd have to rent out other studios. So we found this studio, Raw Recording, and that's that's how I met the owner. And we would come here all the time. Whenever I had a band, I'd book out the room. When I was looking for a mix room, JC was nice enough to be like, you know what? Like, just you come here all the time. Let's just you know, you take the lounge. We'll turn it into a mix room. You can work out of here for now. And you know, I do some sessions for him. And but we're pretty much too complete, like totally separate. He does his things, I do my things. It's it's comfortable. So so now so now I'm in Patterson. Wow. I mean I, I that's a lot of talking. My mouth is dry talking about <laughs> <all> that, <but. laughs> 
It's it's a long story. I probably left out lots of names and details, but that's the gist of it. Yeah, I snuck into Ireland Def Jam till I got a job, and then I eventually got canned like everybody else and went back to making records. I, lo- I love the whole thing about the key card not working and you just like doing the, oh, sorry, my key card, you know. I think the BlackBerry really set it off because I really looked like I belonged there to these guys. I don't know. It was it was one of my fake it till you make it things, you know. What drove you to do that? What drove you to bullshit your way into there? I'm stubborn. I, what am I going to do? Leave and, and then what? Well, I, I this is what this is what I do. Like, it, what, there's there's not another option. There just there never was. Even when this gets slow and it's like, man, I, I mean, maybe I should find like part time job or something. I think everybody gets slow. I hopefully it's not just me. I think that's a universal thing. I can't bring myself to do it because it's like I don't want anything taking time away from this. This is what I do. I'll ride out a couple slow months. It'll be fine. Turns around. And here we are. No, I'm 30. It's 2018. We're rocking. <laughs> I love that story. You're, the appearance that I get off of your website is that you really focus on mixing more than tracking. Is that the case? That's new. Of course, I've been mixing as long as I've been engineering, but I think I've only really gotten good at it in the past you know, five years. And that's where I started making the switch. I always knew I wanted to mix just growing up listening to whatever record I was listening to, like looking up who mixed it, because it's, wow, these all, I didn't know why, but this one sounded different from that one, and these vocals sound really cool, these drums sound killer, like what, who's doing this, you know, <laughs> what what is mixing? I got to start doing, that's that's cool. Of course, you have to, I think you should be a really good engineer before you get into mixing, and, you know, I'm still learning, but this past year has when I really made the switch, like, all right, I'm mixing. And I think 90% of the time, if not more, it's it's all mixing. I might do like one tracking session a month, two tracking sessions a month. I have no problem with tracking. I love it. But mixing is just, for me, it's where I can be creative. And it's really like, I just get a kick out of it. There's, it's the best thing. I get to sit in a room all by myself. It's quiet. Drink as much coffee as I want. <laughs> Life is good. Hopefully make a song sound good. You know, it's it's fun taking all those pieces and making it work, ideally. How do you charge? Do you charge by the day, by the song? I charge by the song. Okay. It's it's hard because it's I, I fight, you know, how do you raise your rates too when I have clients that keep coming back and it's like it might be two years before an artist comes back with more songs and it's like, oh cool, like I'd love to do it now. I charge this much. Especially in the past year, I really had to pick the rate up a little bit. It's affordable. I don't beat people over the head. I just struggle with putting value to it. Cause like I said, I would sit here and do it for free. Like I don't care as long as the gear is paid for. It's you know, my landlord isn't that cool, unfortunately. So it's like there's there's bills and <laughs> there's you have to charge for your work. Well, let me get your opinion on this. So to charge what you want to charge, should that do you think that should be based on your overhead or should that be based on what other industry people are doing? I mean, this is this is what I struggle with. And I actually have a manager this past year who's really helped me kind of narrow that down. And you have to charge for your overhead, but I'm not spending a thousand dollars a day at a studio with an SSL. You know, so like that much of the cost is gone. I have to account for the fact that every year I have to, you know, subscribe to Pro Tools again or everything is subscription based now. It's like, and just keeping up with the software really is is the overhead. 
of course, the studio. I just charge by the song, and I kind of factor in the overhead into that. Mm-hmm. And though I know what it costs me to to operate in a month or in a day, and I know what my bills are, and I go with that, and I try to I try to keep it affordable. I, I definitely charge any work that comes from labels is a different rate than you know a band that's independent. The independent artists, I definitely give them a break. You have to. I mean, they they don't. They, I that's that's just what I have come to figure out is like charging an indie rate and charging a major label rate. So do you just add up all of your expenses and divide it to come up with what you think a day of time is worth? So, I mean, to to some extent. I mean, you got to figure on a on a mix. By the time you're done with revisions and everything, where do you where do you into it? Fifteen hours, you know, twenty hours. What's what's that worth? What, what's your time worth? I haven't had very many mentors, but the few people that kind of collectively make a mentor. So one of them told me like, "Can always make more money. You can't make more time. Yeah, you know, time is your most valuable asset. So you have to be charging for your time to some to some extent. But I, I don't sit here and log hours because I don't want to be on the hook for, you know, sitting out on the deck for an hour while I'm like taking an ear break. You know, like for me, I found a rate per song that works that people are fine with paying. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. You can charge whatever you want, but getting people to pay it is a whole other story, you know? So I, I don't really have like yeah. a, a formula for it. It's just I build in what it costs me to to re- operate. If I if I charge what it costs me to be able to do what I do, I mean that that's a really high rate. If you if you factor in like school and the years of learning and the, oh, yeah. the amount of you know, I mean, but you can't really do that. So you just go by the song. You go by you know however many songs you might do in a month. What are your expenses you know for doing that? And you can kind of divide and get a roundabout number. I charge five hundred a song for independence. Okay, and that seems to be the sweet spot. Okay, some guys will pay more than that. It was hard once I got to this point. I, there's definitely some clients that came back that you know they just can't afford it. And I try to work with everybody. You know, if if, if you can't do that, well, what what do you have to spend? Like, let's make it work. Especially right. if I really like the song. I mean, as long as I can make something, it's a struggle. It's, I've I've just with what to send. <laughs> there's is no the there's rate. no formula for it. Yeah, there really isn't. It's and I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's guys out there that charge ten thousand dollars a mix. You know, they've been doing it longer than I've been alive. So, so I can't touch that yet. Joe Costable here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let's pause for a minute and let's talk about our friends at Audio Technica. Just a reminder, once again, I will be also hanging out at the NAMM show at the Audio Technica booth from time to time. I just continually make my way over there periodically throughout the four days. Uh, They are at booth 15311, so you want to be sure and stop over there. And the great thing is, is if you have any questions about the Audio Technica products, the the man to talk to, I tell you, is Gary Boss. He is the one, the only master of all things Audio Technica. So if you're thinking about buying something, you got questions, Gary's a good person to talk to. He knows everything there is to know. Very knowledgeable. So be sure and stop over at the Audio Technica booth. That is 15311. 15311 is the booth. That's right. Audio Technica. Um, Also, if you're not going to go to the NAM show, no big deal, but uh, stop on by the Audio Technica website. That is audio-technica.com and have a look around. Look at all the good stuff that they have there. Headphones, microphones, turntables, 
many accessories and a lot of my favorites, including uh, the BP40, of course, that I speak to you on here, as well as the ATH M40X headphones that I use on a regular basis. So that's it. Let's get back to it. Let's talk to our friend Joe Costable here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Let's talk about the bands that you get. Um, I'm a late bloomer on many, many fronts. After all these years, it finally hit me. I was like, well, you know, the quality of the tracks that you get really determines the, the amount of work you got to put into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what it is, too? I also found that, like, when I hook up an artist and, like, you know, I really like the song, I, like, just what do you got? I'll do it. It's like they got me doing 10 revisions, you know, 15 revisions. And it's usually because, like, they don't like they got to and, and they end up recutting the vocal or, oh, I got to add this synth. And it's like, man, we're like five revisions in here. You want to add some stuff to this? All right, fine. But like it's it's almost like the ones that pay more. It's this weird thing. It's like the higher the rate is, the more often the artist is just like, oh, yeah, it's great. Like, I love it. I don't know why. Maybe just because from the from like the very beginning, they're they're valuing what I do for them. And they just think like. They just appreciate it. I don't, I don't, they look at it differently because they're paying more. I don't know. Some of the amateurs, though, that that have come my way over the years, they're the biggest pain in the butt. Yeah. You know? No, they are. They get in their own way more often than not. I, yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of that, that, that terminology, getting in your own yeah. way, and they certainly do that. It's strange. I mean, look, here's the thing. I never expect to nail a mix on the first pass. I usually don't. Mm-hmm. Three is like, you know, you, it's like the average... We'll do three revisions. They usually sign off on it. If they're doing more than that, it's because they, they want to recut the vocal or, like I said, they want to change the production. Like, it's usually out of my control. Like, they've, they've done something that now that they're hearing the mix better, whatever, they're realizing, oh, it's falling flat here or there. And I think that leads to it. And then also some of them just get too caught up in – the rough mix that they've been listening to for a year mm-hmm. and and they can't they just can't get around that sometimes you end up doing a lot more work than some of them almost mix themselves <laughs> yeah well you know i'm sure the ones that you track come together far easier than the ones that maybe you get from outside sources i have to say if i track a record and mix it i think i'm too far into it it's almost harder for me huh which is weird because I have all the control in the world, but sometimes that is like, that is too much for me. It's weird. Like it's sometimes being open-ended. I just did a, I just did a brick and mortar record, which is coming out. Um, I don't know. This sometime this month, I think it's going to come out. And those guys are awesome. They're super creative. And they gave me the tracks and they're like, Hey man, like we did, we tracked each drum by itself. Like the drum kit. <laughs> they like, we went, we went through and did like the kicks and then the snares everything do, like do you realize how many drum tracks i had on these on these songs <laughs> so it's like bizarre it was awesome because the, they're looking at it like man like just because i worked with them for for a minute so they're like go just go crazy go open it up do what you want to do whatever you want like hopefully like this is you know this will allow you to do whatever you need to all i did was spend like the first two days of that record just mixing the drums to sound like a drum kit because I had like a, a kick and then like a kick overhead and a kick room. So I had to combine all the overheads, all the rooms, and then have all the close mics and basically mix down my drum kit before I could even start. I get why they did it, but sometimes giving me too many options is like, I just don't know what to do with that. That's, that could really go anywhere. <laughs> 
Come on, man. That, if if there's a hell that it's made up of that, I'd almost yeah. I would rather just have like a. I'd rather be stuck with like a drum stem, you know, because then it's like, at least they've probably put some thought into what that sounds like, and that's the vibe they want. And I, I'll roll with that. I'll mix stems all day long. Complete flip side of that is a little daunting. Let's talk a little bit about the non-audio related stuff. Work-life balance. So what's that? Do you spend an enormous amount of time there? I spend a lot of time here, but now that I'm focused on mixing, it's I have like my schedule is just a lot more stable, which I like. It's, you know, I get in here 10 o'clock in the morning. If I'm here till nine, it's a late night, usually out by eight. It just depends. I mean, if I did a record for uh, Amelia Ali, which is, that one's coming out, I think next week. So when this airs, it'll be out on Friday. I had to mix three songs in like three days with revisions. And like, so I'd be here till midnight or one o'clock in the morning, just waiting for everybody to get back to me on signing off or giving me revision. I think one of the producers was on a plane and he was like sending me vocal tracks like from the plane Wi-Fi, he had to change something and he was like, sorry, it's slow. Like I'm on a plane right now. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's pretty crazy. Like that we can, we can do that. <laughs> He's on his laptop on a plane. I'm in the studio and we're making a record. Like that's pretty. That's insane. That's pretty badass. So that's my world. So, so work-life balance, you know, like I said, it's, it's nice having like more of a, a stabilized schedule. I like to hike. I like to do outdoor things. And I, I'm doing a lot more of that now that I'm completely on my own. Well, you're working in a place that's kind of remote and you're spending a lot of days sitting down. So yeah. how do you keep yourself from uh, drifting into, uh, I don't know, bad health? Producer producer physique? Producer um, producer belly. I, I got to tell you, it's catching up. I don't know if it's a winter thing or what, or I just turned 30, so maybe that's the uh, <laughs> that's the start of the slope. I don't know. It's catching up with me. but uh, Yeah, try 48, nah. my friend. Then it'll really <laughs> catch up to you. Uh, so, yeah, hiking, hiking, especially in the summertime. I don't do too much in the winter. I'm looking forward to doing more this year, but hiking is hiking, camping. I love it, being outside. God, I wish I had that desire. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't like... I've been a den leader for my oldest son's Cub Scout uh, right. group in the past. Group, whatever, den. And I've done a lot of camping. I've done a lot of camping with the family, with Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts. And I am just over camping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, you know, like if, if somebody said, you'll have really? to camp two to three more times in the rest of your life, I'd be like, that's that's totally fine with me. What do you not like about it? You know, I, I think it's the uh, the effort one has to put into making sure that you have everything you need. And then yeah. when you get there, the setup of the tent, and then, okay, we, we got the tent set up. Now we got to get the fire going. Okay, <laughs> let's get the fire going. Okay, now we got to cook. Okay, there's the cooking. Yeah. Oh, now we got to clean up the cooking stuff in case, you know, we want to eat again. God forbid. Right, yeah. And then... Um, you know, it's relaxing, but it's not relaxing. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a lot of work. Everything you want to do, like you said, like cooking or and just anything you want to do, it's like you you're it. Like you're you have to do it. You have to handle it. But it's you know, I mean, just sleeping in the woods, it's the best. Like not have to listen to music, it's the best. Like I will give you that. Yeah, it <laughs> it is enjoyable just to like take a break and disconnect 
from all of it. Yeah. I actually have an Instagram that's all, uh, it's all like user submitted photos, but it's all people hiking, camping. It's all outdoors. It's called happening outside. When I'm not working, I, 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 I got into photography. I just needed another creative outlet. <laughs> so it started from that. You know, I go hiking, I take pictures and I wanted to post them. I don't get out all that much. So I needed other people to submit photos. Um, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of people that are into it and just, you know, I feel like if I can maybe share that a little bit with people, like get outside, go for a hike, try camping if you haven't, mm -hmm. like there's some cool stuff out there. It's totally worth it. I, I think it's good to do. I just, I'm not a big fan of it. I Maybe I've just camped <laughs> too much in, in, in my time and I'm just like, okay, let's do something else. <laughs> but uh, you brought up photography and, and photography is something that I, not only am I into, but I keep discovering more and more people that are into it. I interviewed Eddie Kramer. Yeah. Obviously, Eddie's into it. Chad Blake is into it. And, really? And it's just really funny. I keep realizing that a lot of engineers are into it. For me, it goes along with mixing because mixing for me is very visual. Like, I don't, I really don't care what things sound like or what gear I'm using. It's, it's all textures, it's all shapes, it's all colors in different shades. And it, photography is just like, for me, it's, it, it feels like the next best thing, you know? Like it, when I'm mixing, I'm kind of creating the, this painting, this kind of like landscape. And then photography is just like, or any of the visual arts, but I just, I'm not, I can't really paint. So naturally like photography is the next best thing. I can like go scope out a good scene and, and catch it hopefully and because i'm not like a classically trained photographer i mean i i started on film but now i have a digital camera and like the post processing is like awesome like but that's my mindset see it's like with mixing i get the tracks and i can really get into the computer and refine it mm -hmm. and with photography like you can really take a picture and and stretch all the vibe and all the colors out of it it's it's cool i'm like, a big fan of black and white photography black and white is it's tough but it's yeah it's awesome when it's done when it's done right. And I don't know if I'm doing it right, but basically I take co color photos in raw format and then put them into Adobe Lightroom and then just, you know, okay. strip out the color and just start messing with the shadows and the grain and Yeah. I use um oh man, I wish I knew what it's called. I don't have it on this computer. I want to say Silver Effects Pro. It's like it's a free like toolkit and it's it's specifically for doing black and white and this the amount of detail you can pull out of a photo with it is it's insane. And then if you like prints, there's um it's called digital silver. And and what they do is they actually they do black and white prints by exposing your digital, they expose photo paper, just like how you really do it in real life. So they take your digital picture and project it onto photo paper, and it's like the real silver processed photo wow paper. i like that yeah it's called it's called digital silver i think they have okay. a website I'll, I'll look it up and i'll put it in look the show notes yeah talk to me a little bit about money oh i hate money man if i could live in the woods in a cabin mix records and not have to spend any money oh, i would do it i know but then you'd have to buy i'm gonna be plugins. i'm gonna be the crazy guy in the woods that like hasn't paid his taxes in 30 years <laughs> it just wants everybody to stay off his lawn all right, well, it's, so let's confine it to this. Let's <laughs> let's see. How are you with gear lust? You know, I, I'm at a point now where I I tell myself, look, I've, I have everything I need, but then they keep putting these damn plugins out that just sound <laughs> awesome. And what? 
I'm defenseless, you know? The only thing that saves me is the bank account, you know? Yeah. So it's, that stops me from buying some of this stuff. But, um, you know, I like mixing in the box. It's a really fast process. I thought about summing, but, like, man, doing, like, just recalling stuff. and Because now I'm at a point where I could be working on a mix, and then if, if they want, you know, the mix I did yesterday wants, oh, just turn the vocals up or something, Ah, sure, I'll pull it up real quick, do it, spit it back out, and everybody's happy, and, and everybody feels like um, like they're the only song I'm working on ever, and that's a, it's a pretty cool place to be. It's efficient. I like it. So gear, yeah, I mean, if I had an unlimited bank account, I would probably would, but mixing, being able to mix in the box and not have to deal with all the outboard is like awesome well that that whole drug dealer mentality of oh here just try it yeah i bought i bought a uad card last year when i set up this room yeah i'm gonna be living on the streets if they keep it up because like <laughs> that stuff just sounds incredible and it's it's not it's not cheap i don't i don't make that much money mixing records it's like that you know yeah you, you, you can't buy all the plugins but i buy what i use and i use what i have and i i try to keep it to that it adds up it adds up quick and now that everything is a monthly subscription it's easy to get but then it's like man 30 bucks here and there and everywhere all month long is like that that'll drain your bank account so fast well yeah i mean the pro tools subscription the pro tools hd subscription is thousand a thousand bucks a year unless you buy it outright then you can just pay 400 a year for you know the the upgrade plan i never bought hd outright so now i just subscribe for a thousand a year and it never it never comes up at a good time it, oh it's like always i think like october or november is when it renews it's like god that's that was all the money i had for the winter <laughs> there goes the heat you know but now it's fun but it's 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 not cheap but what am i gonna do this is you know it's how i eat i gotta have it yeah it's it's a requirement how do you deal with um, with disappointment in, in in the music world? Oh man, I I pay somebody a lot of money to listen to me talk for an hour. <laughs> unlike you, the well, complete opposite. Am of I going to get one. paid for this? Wait, no. I, I don't know. I mean, how deep are we going with this disappointment deal? <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's. Uh, I've got I've gotten better with it. I, I've just I've just learned to not take things personally. Yeah. Um. You know, if an artist doesn't doesn't like what I do. It's usually not, at least, you know, the way it's put to me is they just, they want to change something in the production or they're not going to use a song because it doesn't match the other songs, you know, production wise. Um, so disappointment that way, it's like, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. Of course, they're still paying me to do it. So whether or not they use it, that that's up to them. Or, or you get like a, hey, we have like this great budget to do this record and I, I got asked to do a record that was pretty cool, and then the label ended up finding some press run that they did of, uh, and they're like, "Oh, we're just gonna put this out. We're not gonna pay to remix it." And then I like didn't, I didn't get it, and I was like really looking forward to doing it. It was gonna be, it was gonna be awesome. That was disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it depends how you, it's you know, disappointing how. I mean, it's it's disappointing to uh, to think you're gonna get a. A, a record and then you don't it's disappointing when you do it and like they're not totally stoked on it yeah you know that's what it is you can't take that personally i mean it's their song my thought process is if i'm doing a mix especially for an artist that i haven't worked with i'm gonna do my mix i'm gonna do whatever i feel like 
I want to do to that song, given what they've given me. Because I feel like if somebody might not like what I'm doing, I would I would hope that I it, I it was me, it was my work. I, I wasn't chasing a sound. If somebody doesn't like what I did and I was trying to make it sound like something it's not, or, or you know, sound like a different mixer did it, then it's like that would really suck. You know, I'd rather lose that lose that um, you know, my own work than trying to chase something that's not me. So I always do across the board. I I do the mix in my head as I hear it, and then hopefully they stick around. It doesn't scare them away, and then they they realize, okay, cool. Like he's he's going here with it. Like he's gonna do more revisions. We'll reel it in. It'll be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they hear the first pass and they just they just run because they've been listening to that rough mix for two years. A damn Nothing rough mix. Nothing you can mix. do about that. Nothing you can do about that. They did it themselves. They've been listening to it for two years. They're not gonna like it, no matter who who does it. Do Do you feel like sometimes when you do a mix, they pay you, but then they don't use it, and they have somebody else do it? Like it's 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 a bittersweet thing. It's like, yeah, I got paid, but I did a, I did ten songs for a record like two years ago, and one song I I really liked it, but they decided to use the producer's mix. But the rest of the record is my mixes, and to me, it's like when that one song comes up, it's like. Ah, it's just not. It's not really the same. Like I like, I just like mine better. But the producers do like a different, a whole different vibe with it. And I think the tracks were different because it doesn't even sound like some of the stuff I had. But they were just. That's what they. That's what they were listening to. That's what they wanted to hear. So there's like that one. It's like ah, I almost got the whole record. You know, there's one song. It's not mine, but it's fine. You know. What about diplomacy? How do you, how do you deal with the good clients as well as the challenging clients? I, I got a manager to do that oh. because, <laughs> because like I, I, I mentioned earlier, it's like, I'm just, I'm not good at valuing my work. It's just, it always seems like I'm charging too much. I don't want to scare people away. Like, I just really want to mix all of the songs. I stare at emails for like a half hour and someone's asking like, Hey, like heard you did this and we want you to do our song. Like, what do you charge? And I'm like, uh, it's like this, you know, hour long battle in my head of like, well, I wonder what they can afford. And I don't want to charge them too much. I don't want to charge them too little thinking that they can't afford it. Like, so it's really hard. So, um, Will handles all of that now for me. How did Will and you connect? Will and I connected because he manages a few artists and producers and I was, I was just mixing most of their stuff. And then one day I kind of, I just texted him kind of jokingly like, hey, you want to manage a mixer? And he was like, oh, let's talk about it. And I was like, oh, okay. So we did like a trial run just, and it, it just worked out great. Like he kind of, it was weird for me because I spent my whole career, me, just running everything. Like, so I had to kind of, giving someone that power to kind of run the business is like it's difficult because I know how I handle clients and then being able to trust somebody to do that for me, it's a little scary. When we first started working together, I'd like, I like wrote them like this long email, like, okay, like here's, if they say this, like this is how I would say, this is what I would say. And like, here's how I handle this kind of a situation. And like kind of like, like leaving like the babysitter, like the rules of the house before you leave. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> it was kind of like that as, and then I, you know, I see everything he does. He's he's awesome. He helps handle all the uh, the good and bad clients. Takes a lot of the pressure off of me because I hate getting wrapped up in that negotiating game before I even hear what the rough mix sounds like. I feel bad doing it. I feel bad like 
sometimes you got to be like tough, you know, like, no, this is the right. Sorry, we can't do it. And me, I'd be like, oh, you only have a hundred bucks. Yeah, send it over. I'll do it. You know, but it's not, that doesn't really pay the bills, you know? He deals with the clients on a financial level, but what about difficult clients on a mixed level? I think I've been lucky. I don't have too many horror stories. It This goes with the disappointment thing a little bit too, is I I realized that somewhere along the line, I realized that when I send a mix out, it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm trying to make it perfect, I'm going to spend like way too long on it. I need to get it to a point where it sounds good. I'm happy with it. I send it to the artist and present it like, here's the first pass. Let me know what you think because they're not here in the room while I'm mixing it. I, I'm, I, I'm never going to nail it on the first try. Sometimes they take it because they like it. But then I'm always the one like, I went back in it today and I decided like to change the vocals up a little bit or whatever. And then like, okay, cool. Like the first pass was good. Like, but the second one sounds better. I'm sure I've told this story on on the podcast before, but I'll tell you and and we'll keep it in here. But I had a band I was doing some mixes for and everything was going perfect. They were loving it. People were happy. Yeah. But it, and I was communicating primarily with one member of the band who was the guitar player in the band. And he and I saw eye to eye on how the mixes should be. Well, he accidentally let it slip in a rehearsal one time that uh, because there was a comment, oh man, the drums, man, those, uh, they really, they're sounding great, man. I don't know what he's doing. And the guitar player said, well, you know, he's kind of adding some samples in there too, along with the, the regular kit. And the drummer lost it. The drummer was like, oh, oh no way. Totally offended. Uh, he was came back uh, and said, okay, we want you to take take all the samples out and just give us the mix with dude. the raw tracks. And I actually called Andrew Sheps and I said, Andrew, I need your advice. I'm stuck in a real like uh uncomfortable yeah. situation here and I don't know what the choice should be. And ultimately I ended up going back to the band and saying, okay. I can do that, but that's going to be a remix because that is a significant change to the foundation of the song. I had an artist that just, they wanted to add drums to a song and I'm like, okay, but I'll do it. But that's, yeah, I got to charge you for another mix like that. Now we're changing everything, you know, that, that is, how do you take samples out after you've done it and it doesn't work anymore? You're redoing it. So ultimately when I came back with that, they said, okay, we'll, we'll keep it as it is. And I'm sure that there was a lot of right. debate around that. Well, what's funny is they didn't notice. They didn't know what you did until somebody mentioned it. Everybody was pleased up until that revelation. Now that I'm thinking about it, I had an artist a few years ago. I tracked the drums and then I was mixing like 10 songs for these guys. And they had me just do revision after revision after revision, and like just getting in their own way. And like I disagreed with a lot of the comments they were coming back with, but hey, it's their song, you know, I'll change it, fine. And we were on like seven or eight, and then I get an email, hey, we so we spent the weekend listening back, and we really think that like your first or second pass was the best, like let's just go with those. Because all the while we're getting further and further away from it, and it's it's like whack-a-mole, like to, to a degree you can really change anything, but you start getting away not that, you know, it's like my vision for this song, not that that's the right way. But once I've imprinted that, A, it's hard for me to do anything different because that's how I hear it in my head. But B, like, 
now now we're just putting in all these like different things and trying these different things and and the whole thing starts falling apart. Here we are, eight revisions in, and all right, yeah, let's we'll go back to the first one. I mean, in those cases, it's kind of like you're so frustrated by that concept. Yeah, that- oh, I was very frustrated, but you you don't let them know that. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you know you gotta be professional to some degree, and that and I learned that too. Again, um, working with Shep and Aaron, we had. Neil Avron do a mix for one of our artists and Aaron was like man you know what's awesome about Neil he's like we made him do so many revisions and he just yeah okay no problem like he didn't you know didn't matter he he just went in there and did it and you know he never said anything bad about it it's like and I'm like yeah that's like that's the way you have to be there's so many difficult people in this industry like it's refreshing when you find somebody who just doesn't have an ego and it's like yeah cool whatever it is so like yeah, it sucks when like they really want to go somewhere different than I went with the mix, mm-hmm. where I thought what I did sounded pretty cool compared to what you guys want me to do. But it's your song, we, we, you know. You're paying me to, to make your song sound sound good. It's it's okay if you don't agree with what I think sounds good. Yeah, I'll go in and change it. When it comes to continuing to educate yourself or inspire yourself, I mean, other than continuing to mix, obviously putting in those hours helps. But do you seek um, any kind of inspiration or education from other sources, YouTube or Pyramix or... I was on the Mix with the Masters website watching those videos. Picked up a lot of cool stuff from that. I was lucky enough with the EP that we did, Tom Lord Algae mixed it and mm. the guys dragged me down to Miami to to watch him mix it basically for a couple of days. So... uh Man, I learned a lot. He schooled me on a lot of stuff. And that was only like four years ago, I think. I just learned so much just from watching that guy work, not even nearly asking him any questions until later on, but like just seeing the way he works. And he does everything himself. He doesn't even have an assistant. He has a guy that'll like do his like drum sample triggers, Uh put them in, but like he does everything himself. Every mix print, he does it. I just thought that was like the coolest thing because like he could have, I would work for him, you know, for free. Yeah, and he he does everything himself because he's like it has to be right. What are some of the things that that anything specific that you remember learning from him? He didn't like the way I labeled the tracks because I <laughs> use all caps because uh. my dad was a draftsman, so I just kind of like learned it from him. Like late, everything is a label, so I did, it's all caps. He he was like, "What's with the all caps? You're yelling at me!" Like just he's like, "This is crazy. Just you don't have to do that." <laughs> but then I asked him. I, I asked him. I was like, you know, a lot of people get hung up on like you know, subtractive EQ or like cranking EQ. And he was like, he said something like, wow, you can turn an EQ down. Like, <laughs> like basically like who cares? Like, so I was like, all right, I'm letting that go. I'm never thinking about that again. And if I, cause I'm like, I crank the crap out of EQ sometimes, like adding 10 K, like the sometimes three EQs in a row just to get, get this thing to like cut through a track. And it doesn't sound necessarily bright. That's just like what I do. I get real crazy with EQ and I'm like, well, that that can't be right. Like, but I shouldn't have to do that. Like maybe I'm really like out of line here. And then like talking to him about that alone was just like, all right, I'll do whatever I need to do. It's fine. Whatever it takes. And then I asked him like, you know, what do you do if like, like when, you know, when like you're, if a mix just doesn't really come together, it's not, you can't get it out. Whatever's in your head, it's just not coming across that way. Like, how do you, how do you keep going? Cause I get like kind of discouraged and it's like, I got to walk away from this for a bit. And he was like, he's like, you'll get it. He's like, you got to turn the faders down, turn the faders down, start over. He's like, but you'll get it. 
So that was like, all right, cool. Like it's, I don't sweat that when that happens anymore. Sometimes you're just not feeling a song. Yeah. You know? I mean, we we all have to deal with that. You can't like every song, but <laughs> what do you think makes a good mix? Um, transients, number one. I like feeling feeling like I'm right in front of it. I think a lot of stuff is, I wouldn't say over compressed, but excuse me. There's this uh, the whole like glue thing. I think some things are just too glued. You got to have life. There's got to there's got to be things sticking out of it, like showing its teeth a little bit, a little rough around the edges. I do mostly alternative. I do a decent amount of pop stuff. And when I do the pop stuff, I always try to get things a little grittier, a little more aggressive, a little more in your face. And I use a lot of distortion because I learned that like distortion or I figured out it's, you know, that that's dynamic range compression, you know, dynamic compression is distortion will cut down your transients and kind of fatten things up. I just I want to thank you for for taking the time to talk with me. It's just yet another perspective. Uh, I have this vision of you out in the middle of nowhere, snow covered grounds, with nobody That's around it. you mixing. That's it. Just with my little space heater this week. Man, thanks for having me on this on this show. It's really cool. My pleasure. Have a great weekend, and thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Matt. Okay, take care. Yeah, you too. See ya. Joe Costable here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Those are some great stories of his early days, I got to say, and really uh, really great to talk to him. I enjoyed that. Hope you did as well. But uh, we are out of time, so we're going to thank everybody, and uh, we're going to skedaddle, as the old folks say. Yeah, I want to thank uh, Cliff Truesdale. I want to thank Cole Williams and Chuck Smith, and I want to thank our sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Lawton Audio, Universal Audio, Audio-Technica, and I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Once again, as usual, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.